Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Village Global's Venture Stories. I'm here today joined by a very special guest, Alice Lloyd-George. Alice, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Eric. I'm excited to chat. So, so Alice, you, you recently uh, announced uh, Rogue. Uh, wh- why don't you describe what Rogue is and what is the, the thesis behind it? For sure, yeah. So a lot of people like to know where the, the origins of the name Rogue come from. You know, going rogue, doing your own thing. Um, I spent five years at RRE Ventures in New York City, and then decided to build my own shop. Uh, it was a long time in the making and kind of a culmination of a lot of things I'm excited about and focusing in on those things. You know, it's also a nod to the superheroes, both on the Star Wars side and on the X-Men side to any nerds listening. The focus of the fund is seed stage and frontier tech and culture. So I think a lot of folks are probably familiar with Frontier or Deep Tech as a, as a concept. You know, Lux Capital has been doing purely that for 20 years. They've helped establish those categories. Uh, for me, the areas there have been everything from robotics, including machine learning, computer vision, and applied verticals, space tech, spatial computing. And then on the Frontier culture side, um, not such a defined bucket, but Broadly, I've spent time across sort of gaming, the metaverse, a very new emerging category, and some crypto. But broadly, I have a thesis there around creativity meets tech, which I'd love to get into. Uh, It's evolving very fast, I should add. Let's get into it right now. Why don't you unpack that, uh, the creativity meets tech, and and, then talk about how it's evolving? Yeah, so... I mean, I guess the way that I think about it is I love reading about Silicon Valley history and all kind of the legendary figures and stories. And I kind of think about the layers that have built up over time, you know, almost like geology and kind of the seismic shifts within those. But in my mind, you've got the kind of like 70s, 80s, 90s of core tech infrastructure and, you know, all the semiconductor companies, the Intel's. And then the accessibility layers of the internet on top, like right the, the Netscapes and the Googles. And then we've had this layer of probably companies that our generation are more familiar with and huge value creation in marketplaces and utility, things like Airbnb and Uber, which you know were enabled by the real-time app economy. And for me, what I'm really excited about now is this new layer that I think of as sort of creators who are able to you know, generate real value and capture it. In my mind, these definitely look a little different than the founders we've seen in the past. They're not necessarily, although they could be coming from, you know, the stripes and the sales forces and the those types of companies in the Valley. And they're not necessarily going to be funded by the, by the old Valley firms. I think it's a, a new generation of founders who are really on the pulse of culture and tapped into community um, people like yourself who are, you know, really able to build community. That's that's a very powerful thing, I think. And I think part of it is driven by the costs of tech coming down, right? And all the tools being accessible. That stuff is almost commoditized. And 
ideas are distributed everywhere. You know, people have good ideas across the country. I'd say before the pandemic, I was generally looking in places like New York or LA or Austin um, for some of these folks that were more on the culture pulse. Now I think they're really going to be anywhere. And it's more about being in the networks with them. Um, and crypto has really highlighted this the last few months. Yeah, uh, totally. And how do you make sense of, of what's happened the, the, the past few months? I, I know you, you know, you, you've been thinking about NFTs for, for quite some time now. How, how do you sort of make sense of everything that's it's, happening? And what does it mean in terms of what, what to expect going forward? You know, I'm still like, I think I still feel almost some whiplash by how fast things seem to be going in the sense that I feel I've been excited and impatient for these categories for many years. I got my start in, in venture in 2013 um, when I was interning for a guy named Rick Thompson on Sand Hill Road and was very lucky to sort of have that chance to get exposure to the Valley at, at Signia Ventures. And, you know, at that time, I personally was going to a lot of Bitcoin meetups. <laughs> and most people that I talked to about you know, Bitcoin kind of said, you're crazy. And then I met Jim Robinson from RRE, Jim Four, who is a very intellectually curious guy and a tinkerer. And he really was doing a deep dive into this and testing out all sorts of multi-sig wallets. And at that time, you know, the stuff that got me excited and I ultimately ended up joining RRE and helped Jim um, and worked with him really closely on the crypto portfolio. But what got me excited was the sort of 2.0 promise, which was you know, I guess back then it was master coin, counterparty, colored coins, um, you know, coins that could be imbued with different colors that would have different properties. Um, so that was pretty, pretty early. It was before Ethereum. I went up with Adam Ludwin and Jim to the Ethereum conference in Toronto in early 2014 before the presale. And we were so excited for that. You know, 2017 was the mad ICO craze. And then Crypto Kitties, uh, we invested in Dapper Labs through through DCG was was probably one of the first real moments for NFTs along with CryptoPunk. So it feels like a really long journey, but then also really sudden, you know, and because there's been so many waves, for me, I I've sort of was very involved 2014, 15, 16. Um, we did probably 13 investments at RRE, uh, mostly small investments. Um, and then kind of I stepped back and I've been watching these waves. So long story short, it's hard to know with each wave what's real, what's not. And I think there's always some froth. New people come in um, and then important work continues to happen in between. Right. And people build. But this time I'm really excited because it's touching people in my life who are outside of crypto and outside of finance. So that to me is part of the reason I got involved originally you know it's not the self-referential stuff i think DeFi is really exciting and will change a lot in finance but the thing with nfts that's that's changing and having rippling ripple effects through media is really exciting because you know artists that i've supported and worked with and known for for years in the in the digital art world are doing really well and able to monetize work that was previously you know not valued by the market and and treated as a hobby so you know, people think it's a bubble and sometimes the numbers are frothy, but I think the innovations underlying it can be real. And so where are you looking to invest? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I, I have I have a, an investment through Rogue in one of the 
NFT platforms and, you know, looking at a few others. I think I'm very excited by what companies are doing, including Zora Foundation, OpenSea, you know, the last few months, the sales on those platforms, and they have slightly different models have all grown tremendously. You know, Super Rare has been an early kind of presence in the space and, you know, I think helped pioneer to two-ish years ago, the whole category, but everything is evolving very quickly, right? They're adding features day by day. Um, the models of the different platforms are also shifting, right? So it's become more of a kind of, I wouldn't say a consensus thing, but maybe a consensus thing to, to allocate 10% um, of secondary sales to go back to the creator. I think we'll, we'll start to see a lot of experimentation with that, right? Like Grimes sold an NFT, which I definitely, I got, I managed to get one of those the other day on Nifty Gateway and her proceeds or some of them are going to um, a carbon charity, environmental charity. So I'm excited to see things like that start to happen. I think to your question of how to invest, obviously there's the platforms and then there's the assets and then there's the tokens of the platforms. So it's still pretty early days, but I'm just excited by the amount of talent um, you know, and kind of energy right now. And, and I, and I think almost sometimes you see those graphics on the internet of like the early browser wars, you know, and you see one browser pulling ahead and another browser pulling ahead. And then you zoom back and 10 years later, you know, it turns out a completely different player one or same thing with, with the auto industry where you see those graphics of like Tesla being 0.0001% and then suddenly it's massive. So I think we are still almost in day one of, of a lot of this stuff. So um, too early to tell, as we used to say at my old firm. <laughs> yeah. I want to take some of the spaces that, that we mentioned earlier in terms of your, your scope within Frontier and, and culture and look at them both in terms of how they've evolved over time, because you, you've been investing for, you know, what seems like almost a decade now. And then also your sort of uh, request for startups or, or where you're looking go, going forward. So maybe we could start with where you're more excited in terms of uh, climate tech or or what you're looking for there. Yeah, a lot of a lot of different approaches to carbon. I mean, energy obviously is the holy grail, right? We need to we need to up our placement on the I don't know on the Kardashev scale of energy, right? Which measures how advanced a civilization is. We're still, I think, at like zero point zero zero something. We haven't even got to one yet. <laughs> One is when we're able to harvest, um, I think, all the sunlight that would hit planet Earth. So we're not nearly there. I think that nuclear is really promising. It still remains really controversial, but there's a bunch of really smart people working on small nuclear. And that's exciting to me because there's really no limits to nuclear. And I think, you know, I used to spend a lot of time in a prior life before tech focusing on distributed generation and microgrids. And I think you know, seeing sort of like some of the crises of in energy the last few months has made it more apparent that our current systems are really fragile. I think there's a lot of talent flowing towards building interesting companies here. And I'd love to see, um, you know, some marks and, and bigger exits, which would, can also draw more, ta- more talent into the space. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Let's transition into into space tech and, and and spatial computing. Why don't you sort of just give an overview of how, how the the space has evolved since you, since you've been investing in it um, and how that's affected what what are the types of things you you've looked at or looked for? Yeah, I 
love space. I've always been a space nerd. So I felt really lucky when I was at RE to work with Will Porteous, who is a phenomenal space investor and great human. And he led our portfolio there. And I worked with him across, I guess, six or so investments. So, you know, we were investing in everything from ionic propulsion with, with Axion to launch systems with space flight, which was essentially rideshare to space. Um, and then a bunch of constellations. So I got to know Black Sky pretty well on their board, um, imaging constellation, and then Spire, um, led by Peter Platzer, which is basically ADSB and AIS, which is ship and plane tracking and weather data. Spire now has the third largest constellation, um, uh, over 100 satellites up and a really impressive revisit rate. And I think they've disclosed that they're now doing laser to laser communications between the satellites, which is really exciting. So on a really high level, a lot has changed since 2014. The main thing, of course, that that everyone has talked about that's really impactful is how much the cost of launch has been brought down. The cost per kilogram to reach LEO or low Earth orbit has come down about 90% in the last decade which is insane. It's just opened up a whole new, you know, economy that wasn't there before. Um, and so I think there's a lot of fo- focus on SpaceX and they've been a big part of the story. And of course, the, like the comms innovation recently is, is really exciting that they're, you know, working on, but there's a lot of other entrepreneurs now who have been enabled. And I think it's kind of like the beginning of a new renaissance there. So, you know, I think it's like a hundred billion that's gone in, in, in the last maybe 16, 17 years and two space companies. And there's a lot of new ideas that haven't really been tested before either, which I get excited about. So there's companies doing, you know, manufacturing in microgravity because that's suddenly more feasible than it was before for the right types of materials. So yeah, I haven't haven't backed any space tech company yet from Rogue, but I expect I will. And I'm excited to jump back in and do more. Let's talk about uh, gaming and, uh, and 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 the metaverse. This is the spa- uh, these are spaces you've been excited about for, for a long time. What when you talk about how, how they've evolved? Yeah, I'm very excited for for what's going on in gaming, and I guess within that or adjacent to that, um, you know, the metaverse. I think that um, it's both exciting, but you also have to kind of pace yourself with the frustrations of just wanting this stuff to hit faster. And it certainly has accelerated in the last year. Um, with lockdown, gaming's been up 100%. But people forget that a company like Epic's been around for over 25 years and had quite a few different chapters, right? When Tim Sweeney started, it was like he was like a shareware developer. He was making games that he literally sold through the mail or like on bulletin board systems. You know, he was a publisher. Uh, Epic was a publisher, I should say. Um, and then kind of they realized that live games were the way to go rather than these big retail releases. And I think that Riot was a major pioneer in that and also Valve um, and Steam. Um, and of course, Tencent, they've all pushed this forward. Um, but but I guess broadly, you know, where we are is the stuff that gets me excited is where, you know, we're moving away from just pure FPS or first person shooter games to social games. And I think the amount of value that hasn't been tapped into um, in identity and kind of virtual economies and virtual goods is where I get super excited. So 
one company that I've you know been involved with for a couple of years. It's a good example of the rogue kind of thesis on virtual culture is Wave. Wave is not a direct investment in, in gaming. It's sort of adjacent. They they basically have pioneered this format of live events or shows and concerts in MMOs. So um, you know they've been doing this since. 2016, or I, I guess I met them in 2016 at GDC, the Game Developers Conference. And initially, Adam and Aaron, the founders, you know, they were using VR, but that was always kind of incidental to the core concept, which is how do we bring people together and take the concepts of like EDM culture, right? Peace, love, understanding, respect, and just that connection um, and bring that to a virtual world. Um, and they kind of saw what was going on in Japan with the VTuber explosion which is essentially people streaming themselves you know live as anime and avatar characters which we have obviously twitch in the west but we don't really have people streaming themselves as as anime and they realize you could do this with really lightweight mobile tech and software and so they adopted that for wave and it's worked really well where in the last year they've streamed people like um john legend um live and they generated I think 500k for charity out of that they streamed the weekend the singer into tiktok and had 1.8 billion views of that event which speaks to how crazy tiktok's reach is but i think the core insight and what i have always been excited about with wave is they're not trying to replicate the real world and i think i felt very early on in lockdown exhausted by the attempts of people to just replicate the real world and stream it I think we're all tired of kind of Zoom rectangles and that's a big part of the pandemic fatigue. And what Wave has done is really transport people into surreal, fantastic worlds that are offer something completely different, right? And that's what's really special. And I think Epic has been experimenting with this. Roblox has been experimenting with it. And where I think it's successful is when they when they kind of apply a different lens because it's very hard to compete with the real world. But if you can suddenly have everyone experience you know float and have zero gravity that's that's pretty awesome they did that in the marshmallow Fortnite concert which was fun and then the other thing that's amazing of course is that these are mostly they haven't been ticketed events but they've generated tens of millions of revenue in very short amount of time you know usually under 20 minutes these concerts and that's from the sale of virtual goods and assets so i was in the marshmallow concert the skin cost 15 US dollars, um, you multiply that by 12 million concurrent players. And these are incredible businesses with very low marginal cost to create virtual goods. And so that's that's an area I'm spending a lot of time in. I think it's been, um, you know, gaming in general has been overlooked by the Valley. People tend to say gaming's a hits business, but then you look at kind of all this latent passion and demand for virtual goods and services. And I think there's a lot to be built there. Um, if you even look at just Animal Crossing, which I was obsessed with at the beginning of lockdown, I probably spent over 100 hours, you know, playing slash researching Animal Crossing. Um, Nintendo is an amazing company when it comes to IP. Um, they released this game at the beginning, or I guess a year ago, um, the beginning of lockdown, and it did a billion in sales in the first month or four to five weeks. Um, but the social experience was terrible. 
Uh, firstly, you have to have a Nintendo Switch to play, which you know reduces the TAM um, to people who can afford and access the hardware. And then, you know, even just visiting other people's islands is really difficult and glitchy. And if if something happened with the internet, your plane could not make it to their island and you'd have to restart and reboot. And it was a total pain. But a lot of this activity shifted over to Discord and eBay where people are trading skins and items and recipes. And there is this whole extra layers of, you know, economies across hundreds of servers and Discord which I think just points to how much people want to build and trade, you know, virtual goods and items and assets. And, you know, the NFT craze right now is just another expression of that. And stepping back to like the 10,000 foot level, I really do think all these things will converge and it will take time and the sequencing will be probably surprising, but, you know, crypto and gaming and virtual worlds are all coming together and these internet subcultures are driving a lot of it. And I don't think that Wall Street or Main Street and some parts of Silicon Valley are ready for that or or under or even appreciate how powerful these forces are. I think the whole Reddit Wall Street bets thing was really, to me, indicative of that, that people didn't quite understand um, the communities and the motivations and and how powerful those forces are. And and, and say more about what 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 this could look like or or, or what types of Phenomena, you know, so is GameStop with just the, uh, you know, just the, this is the wedge into something much more. Uh, like, w- w- what could this all look like? Or w- w- what are you expecting? That is a good question. I mean, I think that people, you know, haven't quite appreciated how important virtual identity is going to be and that people want to express themselves in a lot of different ways. That's starting to be unlocked. Um, um, and we see companies like, like Brud behind little Michaela who are experimenting with that. I think we see, you know, a lot of obviously crypto wealth is driving kind of exploration of new areas that might not otherwise have been funded. Um, I've seen crypto wealth going into all types of, I guess, (laughs) nerd places that wouldn't otherwise have been funded by traditional capital. And so I think that that brings, you know, to me, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's like a thousand flowers blooming in innovation right now. And I think that you see that certainly with some of the numbers. I mean, just today, you know, Beeple, who of course has been one of the catalysts of the recent kind of NFT mania, sold an artwork for 60 million US dollars, which makes him one of the top three most valuable living artists on the planet. So I think today, what is today, March 11th, not sure, will just be remembered in the history of kind of, you know, digital goods and creativity. Largely, I think that it's exciting that, you know, um, this vision of the internet, which it seems like people had a few decades ago, um, that I think of like as a random walk down sort of an internet with a lot of glitter and a lot of kind of diversity and quirkiness, um, maybe we'll have a return to that, which I think we sort of detoured away from that towards these centralized vanilla platforms with high take rates. And now it's going to be a lot more weird and wonderful, which, you know, I welcome. I think a lot of people think of it as dystopian, but I kind of like the diversity of expression. And and I think there's going to be so many interesting pockets to explore. And, you know, there was there was attempts at kind of funding different expressions through like the Patreons or Twitches or Kickstarters. But 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 crypto is really going to accelerate it. 
in a way um, that wasn't fully possible before. So that's just on the kind of, I don't know, I call it the glitter of the internet almost. Yeah, let's talk about Roblox. What do you find so interesting about that? Or what does that pretend to, what else should should exist? Or Yeah, I mean, I think Roblox, so they direct listed yesterday. So it's super relevant. And this is a company I've been excited about for a long time. And, you know, Rogue, I want to back the next Robloxes and Epics and Discord. So that's what I'm looking for. And Unities, um, which has also been one of my favorite companies. But Roblox is probably one of these first real marks for for the history of the metaverse, right? Which will take a long time. And there's a lot of features and attributes that need to get built out. So it's just a, it's sort of a huge, but little experiment in the metaverse. There's about 36 million people um, globally that use it every day. So they direct listed yesterday and the shares, I think, went up to about $70. So about 40 billion um, valuation, which is pretty impressive since most people don't really know what metaverse is yet. What I think is amazing there, which sort of relates to what I was saying about this kind of serendipity and creativity around the internet that may come back, is that the, the UGC is so powerful. And you don't and Epic's a really impressive company, but you don't see that same flywheel with Epic that you see with Roblox, where there's actually 18 million UGC games and experiences on Roblox. Although I think about 10 million, 10 million of them are actually active. Um, but the the kind of um, accessibility of the platform to kids um, to, who want to sort of make money or create is amazing. So the top game on Roblox is Adopt Me, which is basically a simulation in which you raise your like virtual pet or child. So, you know, me with my Tamagotchi in the 90s, this is like the, the that version on crack. And about a quarter of Roblox um, players play Adopt Me. It was started by a kid who was in elementary school who just started coding in their free time. And then one of the interns that worked at Roblox then joined them. And they did about 10 million in sales last year from this game built on top of Roblox. <laughs> um, and then if you think about, you know, it's hard to extrapolate what, what you can say about Gen Z, but I do like to think about Gen Z. And one thing that's interesting about Adopt Me is that people kind of go on dates within Adopt Me. Um, it's a sort of subculture where two people will like raise a virtual pet together or a virtual kid and sort of see if they work well, (laughs) Um, which I think is really interesting. There's all these sorts of behaviors that are emerging and, you know, I think really interesting, but Roblox is definitely one to watch. Um, Actually, I did a whole analysis of the S1, which um, with a group of people that was really fun. If you Google, if you Google the generalist Roblox, you'd probably find it. It's a great, it's a great little piece we did. Talk, talk about game engines. Yeah. I mean, I guess the thing there is, you know, right now it's a sort of, um, I've been looking for, to, to invest in game engines for a while and definitely open all open to all sort of pitches and conversations. I, um, I was excited to, to potentially invest in, in Unity, but it was too late stage for us at, at my my previous firm. But obviously, Unity and Unreal are kind of the leaders right now, and they have incredible moats, um, very different moats. Um, those two, but they're 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 kind of converging in terms of their offerings, right? Where Unreal started on the very high end, um, and Unity 
started, I think, more on the or more on the low end and has kind of gone up the pole. But I do think that, you know, we're going to start to see um, more types of innovation. And I've been talking to lots of interesting companies and in that bucket. And then the other thing that is probably like this weird dark horse, and it's not certainly not on the scale of, of unity and unreal, which now touch on so many different industries, right? Um, enterprise as well, um, as well as Hollywood, but the dark horse kind of activity that I find interesting is, is these, I guess, gaming architecture spaces that are, um, where people are putting their digital assets. So I don't know if you've spent time in, uh, crypto voxels or Decentraland or Somnium, they're not great user experiences, but I think the activity there is interesting. And obviously they're quite different models than, than these very professional game engines. But I, you know, we, we bought a bunch of um, mana and, and Decentraland land through, through DCG back in the day. And it's definitely come a long way. Um, I spoke to someone today who, is there's like commercial real estate businesses now starting in there almost where people want to rent land and, you know, rent architects to and construction people to build within those spaces, which is, is pretty amazing. Like it's, it's, it's moving very fast. All of this, you know, the question from our perspective where we say is like, okay, what are the venture investable business businesses in these arenas and how should we think about you know, what is venture investable. But broadly, I, I'm just thrilled to see like a lot of these futures that I've believed in for many years sort of starting to hit when there was definitely a couple of years of, of I don't know, you know, more tiring years where the work was getting done, but everyone just said, oh, you're too early. <laughs> so you have to be patient. What do what we not discuss that that you're also excited about in terms of things you're, you're, you're looking to invest in, or you'd like entrepreneurs to be uh, experimenting. Let's see. I mean, you know, I, I'm really looking for, for, I know it's, it's, it's sort of cliche, but I am really looking for individuals that can create new spaces. And that's a really, that's a really hard thing to do. You know, my, my own podcast, which I hope people go listen to called flux is sort of focused on this, which is, you know, pioneers in different arenas. So why does, you know, one of the guests I had on was Keller Ronaldo from Zipline. Why does he decide to go do something like building fixed wing drone delivery of, of emergency blood supply in Rwanda versus, you know, build a sales force for X vertical in the Valley, which, you know, these are very different types of companies. And, you know, Peter Thiel talks about the zero to one, I think I've always been fascinated by the, the Elon Musk profiles. And of course he's had such a crazy year or two now that, you know, it, it, his name has even different connotations, but I'm curious about where those founders come from and what motivates them and why they choose to do something entirely new. Um, and the kind of the new futures that are opened up by people like that. I mean, Elon building Tesla and SpaceX has, has opened up these categories in a way that, you know, wouldn't have been possible without him as an individual. So within the categories I'm interested in, I'm always looking for, you know, the founders who can do that. And it's a very hard thing for all founders, you know, um, to create something out of nothing, but especially when the industry doesn't even really 
exist yet. Timing is so hard and you have to sell your, you know, both your investors and your employees and your business partners on your vision. So I really respect those people that can do that. Um, And that's where I'm excited to spend my time. And, you know, I definitely read a lot of sci-fi and spend my time in a lot of sci-fi. I spend a lot of time in VR. And so I, I live in these worlds and um, it is, it is exciting to see them happen. And it's one thing to have the vision, but it's, you know, entirely different to execute. So it's, it's great to have kind of Elon proving out that these are viable commercial returns so that, you know, he's paved the way for other founders to follow. And I think we see that also just, you know, to bring it back down to earth in the, in the exit markets, right. With these paths to liquidity for frontier companies that didn't really exist before. So SPACs has obviously been a big part of that. I've seen a bunch of my prior portfolios basically get listed through SPACs and, 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 get that liquidity in the last few months, which is really exciting, especially in things like space tech or in in deeper tech, where I think companies were able to do seed rounds or A rounds, but there was always that kind of crunch in the later stage rounds because the public markets don't really understand how to value deep tech. But now there's a lot of public appetite, right? And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but um, I think it's an exciting time to be building frontier tech and culture. Cool. Uh, another space you've looked a, a, a bit about is um, is in ARVR. Why don't you talk about wh- where you're where you've been excited there? Yeah, I mean, it's been it's definitely been a um, sombering time at the bottom of the hype cycle for for VR AR. Um, but I think you know sometimes these just these things take a bit longer to play out. But I still believe in those futures on the VR side. Um, People have been building, and the I think what we've seen with Oculus's Quest Two is a TAM expansion that perhaps people weren't really paying attention to. The ease of use of the Quest Two cannot be underestimated. It, it is inc- like when I started off in VR, I, I was building my own computers, and it would take an hour or two to get things set up on the Vive. I was a big Vive user for a while, and now you can literally put on your headset. And within two minutes, you're in an experience. So I think now the challenges are really just around compelling content and, you know, and navigability across different environments, because I think there's still a lot more diversity of experience on Steam, but Oculus is the most seamless experience, sort of user experience in terms of the hardware. But I do think, you know, this will converge with some of the other stuff we've talked about, Somnium, the... um, the virtual world with with sort of crypto-based assets in it is available in VR, um, Decentraland as well. So yeah, I think that people forget that, um, you know, Pokemon Go's numbers continue to crush every quarter that came before. Niantic is an amazing company. They've been acquiring quite a bit of talent, um, really good talent and things like Slam Slam Tech is one is one area where they've done a great job. I participated in one investment called Gawala from Rogue, which I'm really excited about. Josh Williams is a really um, beloved founder who previously built a company called Gawala, you know, in the what used to be social local mobile nexus, um, and he's bringing it back with Gawala launching this summer. 
And I think with all the excitement right now around collectibles, being able to run around the real world and collect things in the real world is something really cool. And it will get people moving again and running around outside. And so I think we're we're still early in consumer AR outside of Niantic. And I think it's going to be amazing to see a lot more creativity coming. Totally. And, and one other space I wanted to cover, because I know you spent some time, time thinking about it before before we end this, is... is is biotech and, and and longevity. Why don't you talk a little bit about how, how you viewed that? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I personally have been interested in longevity for a while. I think it's it can be tough from an investment perspective, right? You've got to um, sort the, the snake oil from the real stuff. But um, there are real people who are passionate about this, who spent their careers on it. And one of those people who I've always been excited to um, back is um, James Payer, who I actually met at a talk he gave. He was talking about how they discovered rapamycin on Easter Island, and he's you know spent his career building longevity companies and investing for family offices. And I, and as soon as he told me he was building a company, I said I wanted to be a part of it. So I think Cambrian, his new thing is is really exciting in its approach. It's basically a platform. I think of it as an R and D platform. They've got about 11 or 12 assets and they'll ultimately probably have 25 assets and take it public in a, you know, kind of like a third rock or Roy event, um, which would be the biotech comps there. And there's things that you're able to do when you can bring those teams in house and kind of like share resources across them and learnings. But essentially they're very open-minded to different pathways, tackling cellular and tissue degeneration. So you know, mostly it's been small molecules so far in the in the assets that they've acquired, and they have mostly controlling stakes in those assets. They're largely preclinical. One of them is more mature, but um, I guess I would say wa- watch the space with Cambrian. Um, they're an incredible team, and we just we just did a round with, which I think was announced with with Steve Jurvetson. So that's the one so far in the Rogue portfolio. And as I grow the team, I hope to bring on more people who you know, can focus purely on bio, uh, which is not really my background. That, that, that's a great, a great place to, 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 to wrap for people who want to learn more about Rogue. Where might you point them or any, any last minute plugs? Oh, well, um, I definitely welcome more listeners to my podcast, Flux. Yes, so- I'm a big fan of Flux. <laughs> Flux is fantastic. Um, Rogue website coming soon, TBD on the list of things to get to. But yeah, shoot me a line, alice at roguevc.com. I'd love to hear from anyone building at the frontier. This is your time. Um, and I'd love to be involved and help you build. And, and just to give the audience context, Flux goes into the stories behind you know Frontier and Deep Tech founders and, and what they're building in, in a variety of different spaces. Is, is that how you'd describe it? Yeah, Flux is a conversation with you know what I think of as the next generation of Elon Musk's people who are working on really radical ideas, um, very technical ideas in different frontiers. And it shares their kind of personal stories and journeys. And we get into the companies and and all sorts of weird questions about the future. Awesome. Uh, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc. Global.